Revelation chapter 13, verse 11 reads, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. You may be seated. Amazing how God works. The children's story is fitting, fitting right in. Because the, the theme that I'm talking about today is really where our protection comes from. And I didn't talk to Ellsworth. I didn't tell him what story to do. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. Who's that? Who's that? He had two, two horns like a lamb. Who is that? That's us, right? Even though we hear how evil our country is, and yes, there's a lot of evil in this country. There's evil people, there's evil doings. It's only getting worse. But the Constitution, I think Ellen White calls it genius. Did anybody read that? The genius of the Constitution, she says. So I ask you a question. If I stand up here and I recite to you the Ten Commandments, and I speak about the Ten Commandments, and then I go outside and I murder and steal and whatever else evil I like to do, does that make the Ten Commandments void? No. All it does is put blood on my hands for maybe making people leave because, hey, look, at this guy was a killer and he talked the commandments, so I'm not going to follow the commandments. So it would put more blood on my hands for the, the lives that maybe would have left. Ellen White writes, sorry. And this is from, I think it's great controversy. You lost Ben. Or wait, wait, maybe it's, maybe it's me, maybe it's just this. I've never done this before. I don't know if this is on. So in uh, the great controversy, on page 441, it'll, it'll come up when, when Ben gets here. And he had two horns like a lamb. The lamb-like horns indicate youth, innocence, and gentleness, fitly representing the character of the United States when presented to the prophet as coming up in 1798. The Christian exiles who first fled to America sought an asylum from royal oppression and priestly intolerance. And they determined to establish a government upon the broad foundation of civil and religious liberty. The Declaration of Independence sets forth the great truth that all men are created equal. And that's where, they, and that's where people try to you know, call a country evil because there was slavery back then. Slavery was evil, but the Constitution was still accurate because all men are created equal. And endowed with the inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the Constitution guarantees to the people the right of self-government, providing that representatives elected by the popular vote shall enact and administer the laws. Freedom of religious faith was also granted, every man being permitted to worship God according to dictates of his conscience. And I've always had a problem with that. Tell me what you think about the way I think about this. It says to worship God according to dictates of his own conscience. I don't really believe that our government should be supporting worship of just anything. If you want to worship Satan, I guess you can, but that's not in the Constitution. Republicanism, Republicanism and Protestantism 
became the fundamental principles of the nation. These principles are the secret of its power and prosperity. The oppressed and downtrodden throughout Christendom have turned to this land with interest and hope. Millions have sought its shores, and the United States has risen to a place among the most powerful nations on earth. What an awesome description, isn't it? It's like a country, why would anybody want to come here? But of course, you know, what's, what's happened, what's been happening? In, in, during my lifetime, I have noticed a massive increase of evil in the last five or so years, five, 10 years. I know it's always been gradual, but it seems to me that lately, it's, it's just an overdrive. Um, just recently, Florida is either passing a bill or wants to pass a bill or passed a bill that you cannot teach to children under a certain age the LBGTQ stuff. And I don't know, does anybody hear this? Did they pass it? They passed it. So it's a law that you cannot corrupt the minds of children. Sort of. It's very vague. Well, Hollywood came out, and I missed it. I saw, it's a person who hosts a show, and he's gay. And he's mad. And he came out, and he rebuked that bill. And during his rebuke, I didn't see the whole rebuke, but I just saw the anger in his eyes, and he's rebuking the camera. And he said, you were born gay. The first thing I, was, I saw was, no, you're born a sinner. And all sins can be changed. Second Thessalonians 2.11, and, and uh, this, I, I think all these apply. Tell me if you don't think they apply. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Does that fit under that? That if you support that, that you're believing a lie? And Second Thessalonians 2.12, that they might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That fits. Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call, that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Does that apply? And then Matthew 18.6, But whoso shall offend, and that, and that word offend is basically enticed to sin, but whoso shall offend, one of these little ones which believeth in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So you don't have to continue in sin, right? And then also 1926 applies, Matthew 19:26. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with, with men this is impossible, with God all things are possible. And that's all things, you know, and they call it deprogramming. I would call it reprogramming. There, there's a couple cases, um, court cases that went on. One of them was, uh, you've probably heard about General Flynn. The reason I'm bringing that up is in this country, and correct me if I'm wrong here, the prosecution dropped the case. I didn't hear a lot about it, but one of the things I heard was the two FBI agents said that he didn't lie to us. Something, I think there was something like that, but they, they basically said what you said didn't happen. So these are two FBI agents that were dealing with him. So the prosecution drops the case. But the judge says, no, I'm not dropping it. The problem I have with that is the judge doesn't investigate, right? The judge just hears what the prosecution and the defense talk, investigate and argue about. 
So I saw that as, as kind of an, an evil move. But then there was a bright spot. There was another court case. There was the person that they called him an active shooter. This one I saw from beginning to end. I saw, when I first saw this on the news, what he was doing, I was watching the film, and then the commentator was speaking a total opposite story. Um, calling him racist, he shot three white people. I don't know where racist came in. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because this was kind of a bright stop, because this judge, this was, I guess, broadcast on TV. He allowed the cameras in. And during the day, conservative radio was just playing it all. So you hear everything. And the judge rebuked the evil that was going on, basically, if I can make a long story short. And it, it reminds me of, uh, of Elijah saying that you have no one left. Because I was saying justice is gone. But this judge didn't care about what, what was happening, what, the, uh, what they were saying about him. He did everything correct and accurate that I saw through, through the whole thing. So that, that was a bright spot. But now we have to go back to the evil in the world. Because it, it, is, it is prevailing. And it also makes me think of, of Jesus' trial. In Matthew 27, 23, and the governor said, no, why? Because they wanted to crucify Jesus. He said, why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. And there's more to that than just reading that, because there's corruption involved. And this is from Spirit, uh, Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 3. Peter, however, as well as John, witnessed much of the mock trial of Jesus. It was necessary that there should be a pretense of a legal trial. So here's the corruption. We have to make it look like we're doing the right thing, but they know they're doing evil. And who, who, who um, coined the phrase, where the government fears the people, you have liberty. Where the people fear the government, you have tyranny. Does anybody know who? Thomas Jefferson. And that's a true statement, because even back then, they had to have a pretense of a legal trial. They knew if you have 10 leaders and 4,000 citizens, if all 4,000 citizens go against you, you're in trouble. But, but great secrecy was maintained lest the people should obtain information of what was being done and come forward with their testimony in vindication of Jesus. So they did not want the truth. Do prosecutors today ever, ever hide some evidence so that they can win rather than the truth come out? Bringing to light the mighty works which he had done. This would bring the indignation of the people upon the Sanhedrin. Their acts would be condemned and brought to naught, and Jesus would be liberated and receive new honor at the hands of the people. So corruption is nothing new. Ellen White wrote um, in Darkness Before Dawn, page 35, political corruption is destroying love of justice and regard for truth. And that's true, too, when you see all three branches kind of on the same page. When they should not, they should be checking each other. Can we trust the media to, to give us information today? Everybody agrees, I think, right? I was hoping somebody disagrees so I could tell you I'll sell you a bridge. And I will tell you that Jesus is down the street, so let's go, because the Bible tells us not to believe stuff like that. You know, and, and a couple of the topics that, you know, that I see in the, in the media, the lying, you know, from, from the government is, you know, we're not responsible for the gas prices. It, it's just crazy. And then, 
and this was even before that the gas prices went up, you know? Right from day one, we're shutting down this pipeline, so your prices are gonna go up. But we didn't do that. It's just, it's so absurd. And Ellen White talks about the absurdity. And then I've heard from our government and from Canadian government, democracy is under attack by the same people who are attacking democracy. They said the same thing about Jesus when he was eating with a sinner, right? He eats with sinners. Well, who said that? Sinners. Who said that? Say that louder. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Matthew 24, 12 says, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. If love is waxing cold, you have less chance of doing the right thing. Matthew 24, 37 says, but as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So what does that, what does that tell us? Exactly, exactly. We are living in the midst of an epidemic of crime. No, I'm sorry. Although that's true. No, no, but that's not what I want. I, I changed it around, so I... He had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Though professing to be followers of the Lamb of God, men become imbued with the spirit of the dragon. They profess to be meek and humble, but they speak and legislate with the spirit of Satan, showing by their actions that they are the opposite of what they profess to be. And then this one. We are living in the midst of an epidemic of crime, at which, and Ellen White wrote this how many years ago, at which thoughtful, God-fearing men everywhere stand aghast, and that's how I feel. And I wonder how many more people just see this and cannot believe what is going on in our country alone. The corruption that prevails is beyond the power of human pen to describe. Every day brings fresh revelations of political strife, bribery, and fraud. Every day brings its heart-sickening record of violence and lawlessness, of indifference to human suffering, of brutal fiendish destruction of human life. If we think about it, can we like, bring up topics that fill in all of this, all of these uh, situations? Every day testifies to the increase of insanity, murder, and suicide. And, th and they said there's an, since the pandemic, there's been an increase in suicides. Who can doubt that satanic agencies are at work among men with increasing activity? So it's getting worse to distract and corrupt the mind and defile and destroy the body. So, you know, where I'm getting to is where's our help going to be? So I have a question with this next, this next topic. The dignitaries of the church and state will unite to bribe, persuade, and compel all classes to honor the Sunday. The lack of divine authority will be supplied by oppressive enactments so they know that God's not behind it. Political corruption is, destroy, is destroying love of justice and regard for truth. And even in free America, rulers and legislators, in order to secure public favor, will yield to the popular demand. And here's my question. They will yield to popular demand. That tells me that, I will say we, but the public is going to really want this. But what's going on today with the LBGTQ is not popular. 
as far as the majority. It seems to be the minority. So something different has to happen for the public to, to want this. For a law enforcing somebody to secure public favor, they will yield to popular demand for a law enforcing somebody observance. Liberty of conscience, which has cost so great a sacrifice, will no longer be respected. In the soon coming conflict, we shall see exemplify the prophet's words, the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And as we look at the, the last part of Revelation 13, and he spake as a dragon. Though professing to be followers of the Lamb of God, men become imbued. I already read that, didn't I? So my point was that they speak like a dragon because they, they legislate as speaking like a dragon. It will be worse at the end. Justice, crime, everything will just get worse and worse as we go to the end. Ellen White writes, it is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality. But this is not true of the crisis before us. And I think we all experience that. I just experienced this um, yesterday. I'm trying to think what day it was. Somebody backed into my property and there's a cement post at the corner so that you don't drive into the house. And they knocked the post over. I got there and it looked like somebody went into my driveway and then knocked the post over out to the street. So I went to somebody and I said, okay, who did that? And the guy said, no, we saw who did it. It was the guy across the street. He backed into it, then he got out and he picked it up. So it was tipping the other way. That's why, to me, it looked different. So I have to go talk to the owner of the property now because I don't know the person that hit it, but it was one of his visitors. I got a license plate and a vehicle, I got everything. All week I'm thinking, person that lives on my street does not like this guy. Hates him, they had a, a gesture was made, a fight was almost started. That guy, he's, he, he just, just, that's the attitude he has when he talks about him. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, when I go talk to this person, what's gonna happen? Sometimes he has a lot of friends over, I don't wanna walk onto his property when he has a whole group of people. I wanna walk on his property if I have to, when there's only him there. And I'm praying about this, Lord, give me the right words, because I want to go with a baseball bat. But I really don't. But you know, that's, that's the, my mindset is, you know, you know what happened here. And I'm praying about it all week. I go there one day, he's there with a few people. I'm like, ah, I don't know why I thought, ah, not today. Yesterday I pull up, he's by himself, he's on his phone, he's at the street. If I don't go, that means God set him up and I didn't go. Guy was the nicest guy in the world. So I am anticipating, oh, what's going to happen? I walked up to him and I said, you know, blah, 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 you know, the silver truck. Oh, I don't know. I said, I got a license plate. Oh, well, if it happened on my property, I'll fix it. If it was somebody who came to visit me, I'll fix it. And they started talking to me. You know, as long as that guy doesn't bother me, he always wants to call the cops on me, blah, blah, blah. He was the nicest guy in the world. And I wonder if I didn't pray about it, what would have happened? But I was anticipating that it was worse. Ellen White said, and it was nothing. It was nothing at all. It was so simple. And Ellen White says at the end, it's, not, it's going to be the opposite. 
And sometimes I find myself thinking that the end's not going to be so bad, you know, it's going to be blah, blah, it's not going to be so bad. But she says it's going to be worse. In Maranatha, page 196, she says, As the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message, but have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth, abandon the position and join the ranks of the opposition. So why would you do that except for the fact that it's worse than you thought? By uniting with the world and partaking of its spirit, they have come to view matters in nearly the same light. And when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy, popular side. Because it's not so easy, is it? Men of talent and pleasing address, who once rejoice in the truth, employ their powers to deceive and mislead souls. And they enjoyed the truth. They rejoiced in the truth. So this could be us, couldn't it? They become the most bitter enemies of their former brethren. I can't imagine. I can't imagine me attacking any of you for loving Jesus or you attacking me, but it could happen. When Sabbath keepers are brought before the courts to answer for their faith, these apostates are the most efficient agents of Satan in misrepresenting and accusing them and accuse them, and by false reports and insinuations to stir up the rulers against them. How much do we need Jesus to go through a time like that? So how do we prepare? I heard somebody say, and my mother kind of didn't say it, but she also kind of maybe hoped for it, but I hope to be put to sleep before the time of the end. You know, and the more I read about what's going to happen or read about it, I kind of agreed. I silently thought, yeah, that would be nice. I know, I know Paul kind of requested or, or wished for a death would be a sweet relief, he said. But then he also said, but there's a work to do. And in the Bible, I don't see anywhere where God provided Stephen, Paul, Peter. They were not all given death before suffering, right? Stephen was stoned to death. They're suffering there. Paul, was Paul beheaded? Right? Paul didn't get the sweet leaf of death before he was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Death would have been nice before that, right? A quick death, of course. So I, I had realized that at one point I read where Ellen White said, let us strive. This is, uh, I forget where she wrote it, but 7 BC where I, where I got it from. Let us strive with all power that God has given us to be among the 144,000. Yeah. So that doesn't say to pray for death. That says to pray for strength to go through. Jesus himself in Matthew 26, when he was praying, when he had told the disciples to, to wait here and, and pray, they kept falling asleep. And he said, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. So that's almost like praying, I don't, want this, I don't want to go through this. Who does, right? But then he said, nevertheless, not as I will, but thou wilt. So he surrendered his will. And then in 2642, he asked it again. So he must have been weighing really heavy. And this is when he sweat blood. I've never sweat blood, so I can't imagine. If something weighs on me heavy and I sweat, that's tough. This is what Ellen White writes about Jesus praying for this cup to pass away. No way of escape was found for the Son of God. 
in this awful crisis. When everything was at stake, when the mysterious cup trembled in the hand of the sufferer, the heavens opened, a light shone forth amid the stormy darkness of the crisis hour. And the mighty angel who stands in God's presence occupying the position from which Satan fell came to the side of Christ. The angel came not to take the cup from Christ's hand, but to strengthen him to drink it. With the assurance of the Father's love, he came to give power to the divine human suppliant. He pointed him to the open heavens, telling him of the souls that would be saved as a result of his sufferings. He assured him that his Father is greater and more powerful than Satan. Why would Jesus need assurance from his Father? What's that? And Jerry, and Jerry had it. He had the human side that was... He assured him that his father is greater and more powerful than Satan, that his death would result in the utter discom discomfiture of Satan, and that the kingdom of this world would be given to, his, to the saints of the Most High. He told him that he would see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied, for he would see a multitude of human of the human race saved, eternally saved. So he came to encourage him, right, to, to, to lift him back up. And here is really important. It's still up there, right, the rest of this. Christ's agony did not cease. So he prayed for the cup to be taken away. God didn't send the angel to take away the cup. He came to encourage him because the agony did not cease, but his depression and discouragement left him. So now he became stronger. The storm had in no wise abated, so it was just as bad before. But he who was, the, was, was its object was strengthened to meet its fury. He came forth calm and serene. A heavenly peace rested upon his blood-stained face. And he borne that which no human being could ever bear, for he had tasted the sufferings of death for every man. So we can't taste the sufferings of death for every man, but everything else we can experience. And we can get the same help that he got. So when, so when we think about, or when I think about, you know, I would rather die than go through this. I'd rather get strength from Christ, from God, to go through this. The season of distress before God's people will call for a faith that will not falter. His children must make it manifest that he is the only object of their worship, and that no consideration, not even that, that of, of life itself, can induce them to make the least concession to false worship. I also ask another question. Um, first, let me read another paragraph. At that time, the gold will be separated from the dross. Many a star that, have, that we have admired for its brilliance will go out in darkness. Those who have assumed the ornaments of the sanctuary but are not clothed in Christ's righteousness will then appear in the shame of their own nakedness. So some people will not. If, if you do that, you're not asking for the strength from God, right? If you don't pray continually, A faith that will not falter. His children must make it manifest that he's the only object of their worship and that no consideration, not even that of life itself. I was asked a question years ago when I first came to the church. A group of us were there. Jerry might have been there. If you were stranded on a desert island and there was no vegetation, the only thing there was a pig running around, would you kill it and eat it? Because God wants you to survive. There's no other food God would understand. 
And I was young in the faith, and I said, no, I, I wouldn't. Or I said, I think, I, I probably think I wouldn't. But today, I know I wouldn't. I know that I could starve to death. And I have to thank Orville and Yvonne for the beginning of that, because I first came here when you guys talked about fasting. <laughs> I can't fast. That's painful. I can't do that. And Yvonne said to me when I said that, you've never been without, have you? I said, my parents weren't rich, but we, we ate every day, so I've never been without. And because of that comment she made, I realized, and then the Orville said, you know, drink some water when you're fasting, and the water saved me. The water takes the pain out of your stomach if you just sip it, and I learned to fast. And now that I've learned to fast, I fast every Sabbath, half the day. You know, supper is all I really eat. I might have a lunch here sometimes, but I don't eat breakfast, and breakfast is my most important meal. It's so easy now. And I know that, I know I would rather die. I can't tell you for sure until I'm in the situation. But it is not good to eat unclean foods to save your life if you really trust Jesus. We need to trust Jesus daily and hourly. There is... Um, A million scripture quotes, but I just put out, you know, if you want to add some, you know, just raise your hand and, and you know, bring out one that's, that comforts you, that helps you. But there's a bunch. It's Matthew 6:25. Take no thought of your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more, more than meat and the body than raiment? So he got, Jesus is saying, don't, take no thought for it. And Matthew 6, 34, take, there, take therefore no thought for, for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So what's he saying there? Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. He's saying don't worry about the future, right? There's, there's enough evil right now that you have to worry about. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the, of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And this is Paul talking. And he's talking about his eyesight, right? Is that what he's talking about? A thorn in his side, is that his eyesight? That he, but he wanted something removed, right? For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And God took it away, right? <laughs> Can't trick you guys. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, and this is Paul speaking now after God said that, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And think about, think about that. That is not so easy. It's easy to say and read. But if you think about going through that, take this away, take this away, take this away. No, you have me. Okay, I'm happy with it. It's, it's, it's proof that God will take care of us even though we might fear the future. We have no fear to worry. We have no future to fear. We're told it's going to happen. Maybe the biggest fear is hoping it doesn't happen. I kind of ran to that phase myself a little bit. 
hoping that, you know, maybe this will get better. Maybe this won't be as bad. That kind of makes you fear. And then Corinthians 2.10, Paul says, Therefore, I have pleasure in my infirmities and my reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what's he saying there? How can you be weak and strong? Explain that to me. He says, when I am weak, I am strong. Well, I know when I am weak, I am weak. If I can't pick up 100 pounds, I can't pick up 100 pounds. Because God is supplying his strength. That's why he becomes strong. So God is his strength. So when he's not weak, he thinks he's his own strength and God's not there to help. Basically, you're saying you don't need God if you, if you are standing in your own strength. Psalms 18.30. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. And what's a buckler? Shield. My buckler holds up my pants. What is a buckler? A protector doesn't mean nothing will happen to you. But his protection is in the form of the strength. Psalms 19.4, he shall cover thee with his feathers. Ellsworth, I didn't talk to you, right? He shall cover you with his feathers. Under his wings shall thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. So what does that mean? So in one it says that he is a, a buckler, he's a protector to all that trust him. So there's the trust. His truth shall be the shield and buckler. So how do we put that together? If his truth... So if you want his protection, there has to, there's some connection to the truth. So you... And what, where do you find the truth? So you have the truth in the Bible, you study the Bible, you understand it, you follow the truth and he'll protect you. Say that again? Puts a hedge about us. But it doesn't mean nothing will happen to us. Because that, that hedge could be in the form of strength to go through. If you were dragged outside and stoned. Stephen, from what I read, shows no, showed no signs of pain. No signs of fear. No signs of, stop, ah, no, nothing. But didn't he see the, did he see, did he see the heavens open? So instead of getting extremely painful, it got extremely comfortable for him. It's hard to imagine, but God will not give us the strength in most cases until it were, is exactly needed. Proverbs 2, 7. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. And you walk uprightly because you find the truth, you study the truth, you follow the truth. And I have to say for me, and this could just be coincidence, but I don't know. But something, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago in um, testimony time. Something impressed me or made me want to stop eating chocolate, sugar, refined sugar. For my whole life, dieting was always a, you know, diet all week and you can binge on the weekend. Diet for a goal and then you can binge, you know, and that's, that's ridiculous. But it was my whole life. But it wasn't until the last few years, especially since my wife, which is a year now, 
had changed her diet. It brought me back on track because my diet was good, but it was slipping here and there, and you know, it wasn't so strict. But it made me completely strict. Cheese before in something would be okay, if, you know, if it's an ingredient, but it's a you know a small ingredient. Now it's cheeses. It's in there. We don't want it. My wife was throwing stuff out of the cabinet. You want this? this nope. Throw it away. And I praise God for that. But the sugar thing, it's now January, February, and up until March. From the beginning of the year, I just I'm done. Went on vacation for a week. My wife found a bakery that had very unsweetened desserts, and I had a few. And I thought, oh boy, I'm going to go right back off. I came home and stopped. Every time I see a dessert, and my wife will still eat dessert, she's controllable, I'm not. I take after my mother. Give me a bucket of ice cream, I can't take a scoop, throw the scoop away, I'll take the bucket of ice cream. So I'm a glutton, so I, I have to be careful not to think that I can play games. Every time I see dessert, all I think of sickening sweet. That's all I think of in my mind. I didn't do that. That is a gift from God, this is a miracle from God. Because to go this long for me, you know, in my life, chocolate was not really a thing I really liked. I was an ice cream eater when I was a kid. At a certain point years ago, I just liked chocolate. And then it's got worse and worse and worse. And I could eat chocolate, like my mother would say, until I got sick to my stomach. Your body tells you when to stop. You take two or three bites, and your body says, okay. You keep going. Now your body says, now nah, I'm sick now. You know, and that's what happens to me. And because of this, is this is what I think. I think that the reduction in refined sugars, in garbage, has cleared my mind a little more. The battle I've been going through with patients, that's just going on and on, and, and there's, there's some victories and some things change. But I noticed since the beginning of this year that I catch myself in mid-sentence of anger. I catch myself in mid-sentence of thought. And I'm stop, stopping myself, in some cases, before I complete what I was doing. Where before it was complete what you're doing, walk away and say, that was not good. I found my, my attitude change. And I think that's why the neighbor across the street, I was so calm when I walked up to him. And, and I didn't threaten him, although I did say, you know, I have to you know, make, make a police report out, you know, but I said it like that. God is there to help if we want him to. And I fear for myself because I just read about people that will tell you about God and then fall back himself and then be your bitter, bitterest enemy. And the only way is, is through prayer. There are a few who rightly appreciate or improve the precious privilege of prayer. We should go to Jesus and tell him all our needs. We may bring, we may bring him our little cares and perplexities. And that I like because that reminds me that I can just, he knows everything. But when you tell it to him, you're not trying to hide what he already knows anyways. We may bring him our little cares and perplexities as well as our great troubles. Whatever arises to disturb or distress us, we should take it to the Lord in prayer. When we feel that we need the presence of Jesus at every step, Satan will have little opportunity to intrude his temptations. 
It is his studied effort to keep us away from our best and most sympathizing friend. We should make no one our confidant but Jesus. We can safely commune with him of all that is in our hearts. So it's, she says we should make no one our confidant but Jesus. We can't trust. You can't trust me. You can trust the words that I plagiarized from the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy. You can't trust the government. You can't trust the leaders of the church. There is only one one that you can trust. 